This episode of Faith and Family Radio is a re-air from 2015. The series was titled Ancient Wisdom for Modern Families from the Book of Proverbs. Today's episode is about wisdom for passing on moral absolutes. Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs. And we're looking at practical wisdom for families found in the book of Proverbs. And what we're going to look, be looking at today is wisdom for passing on moral absolutes. Just a little bit of review because it's real important for what we're going to be discussing today. Last time we talked about an absolute moral crisis in our world that basically stems from something. In other words, everybody listening to me knows that things are going wrong morally in our world. Even Pope Benedict said there's an educational crisis in a failure of parents being able to pass on to their children morals and values and the faith. And when it comes to morals, there's a foundational problem that's called moral relativism, which basically says that there are no fixed moral absolutes. Certain things are right and true for all people at all times and all situations, but rather people are determining for themselves what moral reality they want to exist. And unfortunately, our legal system, our educational systems, our media seems to be going along with this. And it's actually something that's warned about in the book of Proverbs. We looked at Proverbs chapter 3. In the second part of verse 5, it says, Do not rely on your own insight. Instead, trust in the Lord with all your heart. To trust is the same thing as to believe. And as Catholics, we know that we are to trust in God with all our heart. But a significant part of that trust, according to Proverbs 3, 5, is not relying on our own insight when it comes to making moral judgments. And then again, in verse 7, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Now, this short phrase in Proverbs 3, 7, being wise in your own eyes should kind of cause a connection in the brain. If you are familiar with the first chapters of the Bible, specifically Genesis chapter 3, where the first temptation is taking place, Satan is trying to tempt our parents to commit the very first sin. And what Satan was doing in Genesis chapter 3, he hasn't quit doing because it works so well he does it in every generation. But this is what he tempted Eve with in Genesis 3 and verse 5. He said, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, God told Adam and Eve what was good and what was evil. 
But what Satan was tempting Eve with is to make her own subjective judgments about what is good and what is evil. Now, let me just pause for a moment and mention the real subtleness of this, because in today's modern classroom, for instance, a child can be taught to make his or her own moral judgments about certain moral actions. And their judgments might be good, like you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't harm another person. Those moral judgments are good, but the method of getting there is that children today are taught, just like the serpent taught Eve, is to determine things for themselves, what's right and what's wrong. And then the real problems occur in the teen years and young adult years where temptations arise and people justify things based on the situations. That, well, we love each other, so therefore God's directions and commands about saving sex until marriage don't apply in this situation because we love each other, and that's my moral judgment. You see, when you start down this road, there's no stopping. And Eve saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. Wise in your own eyes. Now, there is an educational crisis in the Catholic Church, and an extremely valuable survey done by the Knights of Columbus. They performed a great service to the church in making this this survey. They found that 82% of Catholic young people, Catholic millennials, believe that morals are relative. In other words, moral relativism is nothing new. That's what Satan was tempting Eve with in the Garden of Eden, And 82% of Catholic young millennials have fallen for this. And what's even worse, in a way, is that generally the American youth, the millennials, about 64% believe that morals are relative, whereas 82% of Catholic young people believe that. And just like in Genesis 3, so in the modern world, What happens is that sooner rather than later, the entire structure of morality collapses when it's based on a subjective man-made criteria. And I close kind of quickly, but it, it definitely bears repeating. This has catastrophic fruits in the moral life of young people who bite into morals are relative. There's no absolute truth for all people at all times and all places. The book Generation Next points out that Christian youth who lack moral absolutes, and we're talking about 82% of Catholic millennials, Christian youth who lack moral absolutes are four times more likely to approve of premarital intercourse. And Surveys show that nearly all the youth who approve of that sexual behavior will engage in it, four times more likely. So in other words, every parent, every youth director, every priest, every parish knows that trying to teach chastity in today's world is an important task. It's a vital task. It's something that's being challenged left and right by our culture. But it seems four times more vital to get across moral absolutes 
to begin with, that there are certain fixed moral truths for all situations in a person's life, and not to make moral judgments based on their own subjective criteria, their own subjective evaluation, because in reality, that is rampant idolatry. What do you mean? It's not bowing down to an idol. No, but it's taking the place of God. That's what an idol does. And God is the one who says, this is right and this is wrong. And when I start saying, this is right and this is wrong, I've just taken God's seat. It's very pleasing to the eyes. It's very gratifying to the ego, and it's deadly. It's as deadly as original sin. This is the deadliest temptation. And sometimes we're blind to this in trying to form young people to sustain a moral life in the modern world. George Barna, in a survey, found this shocking discovery, and this is really shocking. A youth's views of sexual morality— are more influenced by their view of truth than whether or not they are Christians, whether or not they are professing Christians. In other words, a view of truth, and you can be a Catholic and have an improper view of truth and how you arrive at moral decision-making, or you can be a Protestant evangelical, and these are widespread amongst our Christian youth in America believing that there are no moral absolutes, that morals are relative, that situations change the truths of certain things. Psalm 11 and verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, I'll tell you what they can't do. They can't rebuild a Christian culture in the United States without moral absolutes. They can't convey chastity to teenagers without having a foundation of moral absolutes. And we see an almost frantic push to have more books on theology of the body and chastity talks and lectures and youth rallies and all of this type of thing, which are all good, but remember they have to rest on a foundation of moral absolutes. So what I want to share with you today are five practical ways that parents can teach moral absolutes to their children. And number one is parents. <laughs> That's one of the huge keys, and it's coming right out of the book of Proverbs, where Proverbs is teaching not to be wise in your own eyes, not to lean on your own understanding, but trust God's truth. It starts out with this passage, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Well, what is he talking about? My teaching in Hebrew is my Torah. And the Jewish father here is teaching his son God's word, but he's personalized it. Son, this is a part of my life. This is, this is what makes me operate. This, this, is how, this is my moral GPS, so to speak, and now I am conveying it to you. Yes, you could have a lot of youth industries trying to convey this, but nobody is better at this than mom and dad in conveying these truths to their children. Now, a lot of moms and dads in today's world don't feel comfortable or equipped to be able to do this, and this is where men's groups and women's groups and all types of uh, adult 
education within parishes are so necessary because we, we have a full-on cultural collapse going on right as I speak. And in order to rebuild and maintain what we have left of morality in the United States, we need parents to be teaching their children, both by example and by word. I have a little beef with God. I really think he should have made kids just to do whatever you say and not just what you do. It makes it a lot more difficult to be a parent. I'm being facetious, of course. But, you know, kids pick up on what we do. Let's just talk about voting. You think it's, well, I'm going to vote for so-and-so. You know, I'm really fed up um, paying too many taxes, and I'm fed up paying too many taxes, so I'm going to vote for so-and-so. Yeah, I know, he's a pro-abortion candidate, but I I just can't afford to pay all these taxes, so I'm going to vote for him. You know, your kids pick that up. You have just taught them by your voting patterns that morals are relative that God's commandment, thou shalt not kill, applies in all situations except the voting booth. You just taught moral relativism to your children. you got to be consistent with them. And, you know, you've heard the term cafeteria Catholicism. And, you know, people going down the line today, it's really getting bad. You know, they're bypassing half of Catholic doctrines, half of Catholic moral teachings, and just, oh, I just just want, you know, 50% on my tray. And you're a conservative Catholic. You're going to go down the line and say, I only want, I'm going to get 90 or 95%. Look how much stuff I have on my tray. Hey, if you're showing your children that you can pick and choose, I don't care if it's 95% or 90% and you're leaving the rest of Catholic truth out of your life, you are teaching, by your example, moral relativism to your children. You have to be consistent, okay? And parents, this is your task. That's why he says, my son. This is father to son. And, and moms do this too, don't get me wrong, but dads, you're not off the hook. And so many religious educators wonder, what do you do with young men? Here's what you do with young men. You have a mature dad teaching his son one-on-one. And then you have mature men in conveying that to other young people. Okay? Parents. 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 That's number one. Number two, use scripture. I've already told you this passage starts with my son. Do not forget my teaching. And the father's teaching It says in Hebrew, it's very interesting, my Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, those precious books for a a Jewish believer. It's kind of like the four Gospels for Catholics today. But the Father can so personalize it and say, this is my Torah. This is something that means life to me. And he's using Scripture. And it says, let your heart keep my commandments. Well, what are the Father's commandments here. It's the Ten Commandments found in the Torah, the law of God from Moses. So you see what's happening. The Father is using Scripture that, so to speak, he has digested himself, and now he's sharing that same Scripture with his Son. And then he tells them, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, how were the Ten Commandments written down? They were written down on tablets of stone. But here the Father wisely is going for the heart. It doesn't do any good just to have God's Word external to you. It needs to be internalized. What's a good way to internalize Scripture? Get somebody who's real close to you personally to teach Scripture to you. Who would that be? Mom and Dad teaching 
Scripture. This is what's going on here. Ah, but somebody will say, well, that's Steve, that, that's because of your evangelical Protestant background. Steve, Catholics do sacraments, evangelicals do Scripture. And to that, I would say, no. And if I wasn't on the radio, I might be even be tempted to use other descriptions, but no, no, no. Catholics do sacrament and Scripture. And I would take for proof of that statement the Holy Family itself. You know, one of the most beautiful and truly magnificent parts of the, the four Gospels is Luke chapter 1, when Mary, without, you know, she didn't sit down and have five hours to prepare. Out of her being, out of her heart, comes the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. It just comes out. And Scripture scholars will tell you, this didn't come just from scratch. If you look very carefully in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2, have you ever read it? Mary did, because she had, in all likelihood, committed this closely to memory, because the Magnificat is kind of her um, making new, so to speak, for the New Covenant, what's taught in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Scripture just came out of her. Holy Spirit came on her, and pow, it came flying out. It was my Torah that came out of Mary's heart. And this, is, this was the person that God chose to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the mother of God on earth. And so, moms, how about you? Uh, Catholics, like Mary, do Scripture. Let's talk about St. Joseph. And uh, Now, this one really hit me today. I don't know if you'll get this over the airwaves, but I hope it gets right across the airwaves, right into your ears, and then right into your heart. Think of this, like I'm looking right now at Proverbs chapter 3, and it's talking about a Jewish father, my son, do not forget my Torah, a Jewish father teaching his son the Torah, the, the law of God. And Proverbs is just filled with practical wisdom, which we all need for daily family life. And it just hit me today. I can almost guarantee, I can't prove it at all, but I can almost guarantee you that St. Joseph was actually teaching this passage we're talking about today to the child Jesus. Think about that. And then when you sit down with your children and share Scripture, you're, so to speak, entering in to the spiritual life of the Holy Family. Catholics do do Scripture, and Catholics do do Scripture within their families. And it starts with the Holy Family, and God just didn't pick the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph just out of the blue. You know, they were prepared. They had the Scripture in their hearts. They were ready to be truly parents of the Lord God Almighty. And notice something in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 4. Listen carefully as I read this verse. So, the result of this, putting God's word in your heart, shared from the parents, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Did you hear that? You will find favor and good repute in the favor of God and man. Let me go back to the beginning of the Gospel of St. Luke. 
Luke chapter 2 and 52, summarizing the entire childhood and early life of Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Well, Proverbs is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. So Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Proverbs 3, 4. You will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Ditto. How the Holy Family nourished the child Jesus is how all families of faith are to nourish their children with Scripture. Now, here's something that, you know, the first time I read this section of the Catechism, I kind of thought it might have gone overboard. Um because I was a bit sensitive because my life as a Protestant evangelical was you really exalted Scripture. And, you know, when an evangelical comes into the Catholic Church and discovers the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist, it kind of upsets your apple cart a, a bit. But the catechism, as much as it exalts uh, the centrality of the Eucharist in our lives as Catholics, listen to what it says in paragraph 103 of the Catechism. For this reason, the Church has always venerated the Scriptures as she venerates the Lord's body. It's talking about the Eucharist. She never ceases to present to the faithful, A, the bread of life, taken from the one table of God's Word and Christ's body. God's Word and Christ's body, A and B. Whoa! She venerates the scriptures as she does the Lord's body. Uh, you wouldn't think, as a Catholic parent, withholding at front, you know, at the proper age, the Blessed Eucharist from your children, would you? Well, if you venerate the scriptures as you venerate the Lord's body, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to hold that back. So give your children scripture. Make sure the materials you give your children are free of poisonous modernism, because modernist Bible scholars are just like Satan in Genesis 3. I'm sorry, but they are, because they sit in God's seat, and rather than receiving God's Word as true, they say, well, this part's true, this part's made up, this part, you know, I don't know, pious inspiration or something like this, and this part is myth, and this part is a true miracle, this one isn't. You see, that's sitting in God's seat. And that's the exact same thing that's being condemned here. Uh, get a hold of the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. Uh, just a precious tool. There are straight shooters who uh, prepared this. It's the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, and you can get it. You don't have to worry about having all the bad stuff in there. Okay, that was number two. One was parents. Two was scripture, and particularly parents teaching scripture. It's a very Catholic parent thing to do. And three, you want to guard your children from false teachers, and you want to teach your children, particularly as they get older, how to detect false moral teaching. And since the Knights of Columbus survey revealed that Catholic children actually have a higher percentage of those believing in moral, relative, moral relativism than the general public— you even have to be aware of what's going on in youth groups and CCD programs in Catholic schools. And here's a very simple question to start asking teachers, administrators, youth leaders, and you name it. It's simply this. How do you teach moral de decision-making? Or a similar question, what method of moral decision-making 
do you teach? And they think, gee, I don't know. <laughs> this is something that everybody should know in the 21st century. We don't have an option because this is the foundation of a moral life and knowing that there are moral absolutes. And so public schools, you need to be aware of parents, are invariably teaching values clarification and moral relativism. That's doing what's right in your own eyes. And, you know, that's the serpent's venom. And I realize that some people have no alternative other than public schools. So you, at that point, you really need to help your children detect when they're being fed moral relativism. Okay? Um, and, and then, again, with youth, they need to be really reminded about this. And even in chastity talks, a chastity speaker, you want to ask them, what method are they using to teach moral decision-making? Because they can come to the right decision, like we're going to save sex until marriage, but if they do it through values clarification of their own subjective experience, they're sitting in God's seat. That's idolatry. That is serious sin to be wise in your own eyes rather than trusting in the truthfulness of God's Word. You know, John Paul II at World Youth Day in Denver, I'm sure he didn't just think this up on the plane over from Rome. He said this to the youth, vast sectors of society are confused about what is right and what is wrong. And he went on further to say, and quote, this is something you can share with a teenager. This is from his encyclical, which came out almost the same time, The Splendor of Truth, section 81. And he said, quote, circumstances or intentions can never transform an act intrinsically evil by virtue of its object into an act subjectively good or defensible as a choice. Circumstances or intentions can never transform an intrinsically evil act into an act that's subjectively good. Boy, there's some cardinals even over in Germany who really need to reread the splendor of truth because they're proposing things that are absolutely contrary to what I just read to you. We need to keep in mind that the foundation of the moral life rests upon a trust in the truthfulness of what God teaches, what has been preserved so faithfully by the Catholic Church through the centuries, and we want to make sure that our young people are not doubting uh, the goodness of God's moral decision-making, but following it. Because again, Pope John Paul II warned in The Splendor of Truth, there, it's a deep rebellion that leads men to reject the truth and set themselves up as an absolute principle unto themselves being like God, quoting Genesis 3.5. Till next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.